so today, we're going to uh, uh, hopefully look at the end of Acts chapter 1. And as we're going to see, it, it has a, a very interesting lesson for us to learn uh, uh, that is really brought out very much in our Torah portion for, uh, for this week. So, uh, you know, if you're uh, familiar with uh, the book of Acts uh, at the beginning, what we know uh, uh, in chapter 1 is uh, the real theme there is waiting, 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 that they're waiting they're waiting for something to happen. Uh, and so at the beginning of the chapter, at the beginning of the book, of course, you know, after the Luke's uh, hello and how are you explaining what's going on, uh, uh, Yeshua is still with them. And, and so, you know, he's risen from the dead and he's with them. Uh, and that's comforting in and, of, in and of itself that he's with them, you know. Uh, and uh, he tells them to wait, you know, wait here in Jerusalem. For the promise of the Father, the immersion of the Ruach, we've talked all about that, right? Uh, and, uh, and then uh, they want to know, they, like everybody else, they want to know, but what's going to happen, right? Because that is what we all need to always know. What's going to happen, right? What's going to happen to me or what's going to happen to us now? What, you know, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? Uh, and, uh, and he says, Oftentimes what we hear when we ask God, uh, Lord, when? How long? When's it going to happen? Right? He says, it's not for you to know. You don't, don't worry about when. Just uh, be occupied. Be serving me. Right? That's what he says. Be my witnesses. And we've talked about that. Right? So then, okay, we can live with that because you're still with us. But then he disappears. He ascends right? To, to the right hand of the Father. And so now, uh, this is after 40 days. So now what we're going to look at today is this 10-day period of waiting. Like what is, you know, like this is a little bit off the charts. He's disappeared. The apostles don't have 2,000 years of history and tradition uh, to say, oh, okay, this is the ascension, and now he's coming back. You know, this is what's going to happen. The spirit, you know, they, they don't know this. He's just disappeared, right? Uh, and uh, if we place ourselves in their shoes a little bit, there's a lot of anxiety uh, in this. They're waiting in Jerusalem for this. They, they, they don't know what it's going to look like. <laughs> this thing to happen. You know, this immersion of the spirit. This pouring out of the Ruach. What, you know... What does it even look like? What does it mean? Right? Okay. So uh, we could say that the last part of Acts chapter 1 is all about waiting. All about waiting. So in verse um, 12, that's where we start. In verse 12 of uh, Acts 1. So it's all, you know, Yeshua has ascended. Okay. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount of olives. What an appropriate place, by the way, for them to be, because according to the prophet Zechariah, Yeshua is going to return to the Mount of Olives, right? Right? So here, right where he left is where he returns to, okay? Then they return to Jerusalem from the Mount called Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. It doesn't mean it was on the Sabbath, but on the Sabbath, you could only go so far. 
And people uh, theorize about exactly how far that was, but it's, a pro- it's somewhere around three quarters of a mile, something like that, within a mile or so, all right? So in other words, they didn't go very far, okay. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room. So we don't know which upper room this is. Okay, we don't know if this is where they came from. If it, we don't know if this is where they had the Last Supper, right? The, the Last Passover Seder, or a different upper room. Upper rooms were rooms on top of the flat roofs uh, of uh, buildings, right? Uh, it had to be, it couldn't be a real small upper room because there was over 100 people in it, okay? So, um, uh, but nevertheless, perhaps it, it was, we're not sure, but that's where they are. Okay, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, that is Peter, John, and James, and Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. Okay, this is not Judas Iscariot, this is a different Judas. They were different, you know, these, these are, the, these are the, uh, the apostles, okay? Uh, uh, and there's different orders of the apostles, and uh, and that's kind of interesting. What's, the only thing interesting here for us, for our purposes in this message, is that Peter and John are at the beginning. Uh, and what, we, what we'll see as we uh, read through the book of Acts, we don't read a lot about the apostles, by the way, in, in Acts. We read mostly about Paul, right? But who do we read about? We read about Peter and John in terms of apostles, the, of the 12 apostles. Okay? All right. So here they are. All right? Then it says, uh, these all with one mind were continually devoting themselves uh, uh, to prayer. They were, they were continually devoting themselves uh, uh, to prayer. You know, we read that they were devoting themselves to prayer in a variety of places. Uh, doesn't that sound a lot like chapter 2 and verse 42? Uh, where it says, and they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So prayer play, plays a uh, you know a very strategic uh, uh, role uh, here. And then uh, and then we read uh, a few verses down there in chapter two and verse forty six. And day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and uh, having the favor of all the people, and, and the Lord was adding to their number. So it's just uh, an interesting observation that uh, we read uh, that they were of one mind and praying. Now, the, the difference between chapter 1 and all the other chapters is uh, chapter 1 is before the, the pouring out of the, the Ruach. They're waiting for this to happen. And uh, so just in keeping in mind with this idea of waiting for this to happen, they were devoting themselves to prayer, okay? Now, if I was them, I would probably be like uh, making a rut in the floor by walking back and forth, wondering what's going to happen. You, you know, you know, is he coming back? Are we stuck? Is this the end of the journey? What's going to be? I don't know. Do we believe in him? Yes. Uh, do we want to live? Or, yes. What's going to happen? I don't know. I don't know. Therefore, I'm kind of worried about what's going to happen because I don't know what's going to happen. Right? Uh, have any of you ever experienced that? 
Maybe, maybe a little bit. Oftentimes, it's when it's dark outside uh, uh, that uh, hits us uh, uh, the most, like in the middle of the night, right? Okay, uh, so they're praying. That is, uh, you know, obviously something we'll uh, come back to uh, here, all right? Uh, and they're uh, of one accord, with one mind, they were devoting themselves to prayer. Then it says, along with the women. Now, we might just run by that and say, well, that's great. Okay, everybody was there. But you know, in the first century, uh, you really uh, don't read a lot about uh, you know, men and women engaged together in important activity. And so there were, all, there were a number of women. Uh, they weren't the 12, but this is uh, what we're going to learn here is that there's a whole um, entourage uh, of people uh, somewhat closely associated with Yeshua. That by the time we get to the ascension, the, you know, the disappearing of, of Yeshua uh, uh, from the point of view of the people, that there, that there were a number of people who were dedicated followers. And so uh, we read here, and what's kind of also interesting is that it's right after the apostles, we read about the women and Mary, the mother of Yeshua. Uh, this is one of the very few times we read about her. So here she is. She's right there with them, right? Uh, and uh, uh, clearly, the resurrection of Yeshua uh, uh, brought his family, Yeshua's family, uh, to uh, embrace him, to understand who he is. Because not only do we read about his mother, but the next thing we read here uh, is, and all his brothers, and all his brothers, right? Uh, now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and I believe it's in the fifth verse, we read that when he rose from the dead, he appeared to James, his brother, okay? Now, that James, the famous James, right, uh, of like the book of James, uh, James, the uh, leader of the congregation in Jerusalem, was not one of the 12 apostles. It was Yeshua's brother, okay? That's just important to get. Just like today, you know, like if I say, uh, I don't know if any of these people by this name are in the room right now, but if I say the name Ken, that can mean a variety of things uh, here at Beth Messiah, right? Uh, there's, more, there's, more than, uh, there's more than one. And so who are you talking about? Well, there's a number of James uh, here. Uh, so uh, when we talk later on about James, the book of James, James, who Paul met in Jerusalem, that is not one of the 12, but one of these, his brothers. They were there, okay? Okay. I, uh, okay. Then it says, and at this time, Peter stood up in the midst of the brethren. Now here, in verse 14, it's his brothers. Uh, may I suggest strongly that it's his family. But in, ver in the next verse, when it says, in the midst of the brethren, it's the, all the people that are in the room, okay? All right, about 120 people. It's about, no, we don't know the exact number. It was about 120 people that, uh, that, that were there. Okay. Uh, you know, so just an interesting observation that uh, we don't, again, often think about. Uh, and, and that is, isn't it interesting that Peter here uh, takes command? That it's not, I found this to be interesting. That usually we think, well, you know, Peter's the one who denied the Lord three times, 
And then when Yeshua uh, is raised from the dead and he calls for the apostles to meet him, he says, and make sure you tell Peter too, right? And then Peter comes, and then usually uh, what we'll say is, and so notice what happens after the Ruach is poured out. Peter speaks up. But here, it's before Peter speaks up. So it just goes to show you that most of what we read about Peter is like he is the apostle who, is, who takes the leap, who takes the jump, who speaks up, uh, you know? Uh, and uh, we see that he, uh, uh, we read about that denial. Do you ever ask yourself, how come we don't read about the denial of John? Or we don't read about John running away? Or we don't read about all the other apostles or Andrew uh, running away? Because they all did. They all ran away. Why? is Peter's denial like from, you know, in stone, right? Well, perhaps it's because uh, he, who is unquestionably the leader of the, tw- of the 12, you know, he is the spokesperson of the 12, that uh, uh, Yeshua tells him, you are going to, you know, don't be telling me how you're never going to go anywhere, you're, you know, you know, that, that righteous bravado that we like to have sometimes, you know, uh, that you'll see that you too, Peter, are a man of clay feet. And so for us, we see, he, he becomes like the object lesson for us because Yeshua said it, we read of his denial of the Lord. And, uh, you know, it's, it, it kind of reminds me a little bit of like Paul's thorn in the side, you know, that uh, remember that he had this great vision and so that he would not get too uh, proud. Uh, God gives him this thorn in the side and he prayed three times and it wouldn't go away. And so, on, right. Uh, and so here, Peter, once again, is sort of like back in step that uh, Peter is encouraging the other apostles and everybody else in the room. Uh, Peter, who, yes, uh, sinned. I deny the Lord, I has evidently uh, in his engagement with Yeshua in his resurrection has come to terms with that because he's once again speaking up. It's an interesting observation. Okay. Uh, and so he says, brethren, the scriptures had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit uh, foretold by the mouth of David concerning Judas, uh, who became a guide to those who arrested Yeshua. For he was counted among us and, re- and received his portion uh, in this ministry. Okay, so interesting that he says this, the scriptures had to be fulfilled. So Peter, uh, is, this is a, a, a very interesting uh, a statement that the, that the betrayal of Judas on the ground, it looked like this is, how could God be in this, right? But he says, but the scriptures had to be fulfilled, right? So there's this understanding of the providence of God and the sovereignty of God. And Peter is encouraging them saying, okay, this is all, everything that has happened is part of, uh, a part of, the, uh, part of the plan, right? Okay. Uh, and so... Uh, uh, he gives uh, a little synopsis here of what happened, and then he quotes a couple of passages of Scripture. Now, 
I, this is, verses 18 and 19 is most likely Luke's rem- telling us what this is. Like, in other words, Peter is uh, uh, encouraging everyone, and, but Luke is reminding us of, like, this is, the, uh, this is what happened to Judas, all right? That's perhaps why you see it's in parentheses in your Bible, perhaps, or italicized or something like that. Now, this man acquired a field with the price of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, uh, and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all who were living in Jerusalem, so that, their own la- so that in their own language, the field called Hakeldama, that is the field of blood. Okay. And so what uh, Luke is, is basically telling us, whether it's the words of uh, uh, Peter or the words of, of Luke, it is telling us uh, that he, he was guilty and that he was judged. All right? Now, um, we don't have time to go into this detail, but if you read this account in the Gospel of Matthew, it's not told exactly the same way, all right? Uh, but that, that is, uh, like so many other things in the Bible, uh, that is not the issue because Luke is trying to tell us only one thing, and he's trying to tell us that Judas was guilty and, he, and was judged, okay? That's what he's telling us. For it is written in the book of Psalms. Now, Peter quotes here uh, two places in the Psalms. And this is, uh, these serve as uh, great uh, teachable moments to remind us what we do with the Psalms, h- how we use the Psalms, one, one of the many, many ways uh, we use the Psalms in our lives. So first, he quotes Psalm 69 uh, in verse uh, 25, Okay. Uh, for it is written, let his homestead be made desolate and let no man dwell in it. Well, let's turn there for a minute. You knew that was going to happen, right? Uh, Psalm 69, verse 25. Okay, go back to verse 20. Look at verse 20 and following. Reproach has broken my heart and I am so sick. And I looked for sympathy, but there was no one. And for comforters, I found no one. They also gave me gall for my food And for my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. Does that sound familiar, right? May their table before them become a snare. And when they are in peace, may it become a trap. May their eyes grow dim so that they cannot see and make their loins shake continually. Pour out your indignation on them and may thy burning anger overtake them. May their camp be desolate. This is the verse. May their camp be desolate, and may none dwell in their tents. For they have persecuted him whom thou hast smitten, uh, and they tell of the pain of those whom thou hast... Okay, so uh, what we see here is uh, like a a, a type, a a biblical type of Yeshua and words about those who come against him, who came against him. And so Peter personalizes this to, obviously the part he doesn't quote is Yeshua uh, and uh, Judas Iscariot. It's not a prophecy like this is a, this, you know, A equals B, but in, to Peter, just like we use the Psalms, by the way, uh, he, he knew this Psalm and he said, this is, this is him. 
This is a very rabbinic thing to do, by the way. Like, this is that. You know, this, uh, in its context, perhaps it's about David himself. You know, much like Psalm 16 and other passages, right? But certainly pointing to Yeshua. Uh, and, and so uh, uh, Peter uses this uh, text as like a, a, a text pointing to Judas Iscariot, okay? And so you know how we use the Psalms oftentimes, like, well, I'll say it, Other, uh, we all say it, that um, uh, when you look at the Lament Psalms, right, how long, O Lord, we should pray those Psalms, make them our own. I didn't, that Psalm was not written about me, it wasn't about written about me, yet I'm attributing it to my, to my you know, I'm applying it to myself. And that's what Peter does here uh, with Judas Iscariot, okay? Then he says, uh, he quotes another psalm, uh, his, and his office let another man take. This is Psalm 109 in verse 8. You know, one of the things it tells us is, did Peter know these psalms or what, right? So uh, in verse 6, if you go back to Psalm 109, a few verses, appoint a wicked man over him and let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he is judged, let him come forth guilty, and let his prayer become sin. Let his days be few. Let another take his office. And so he quotes that one line in that psalm. Not because when you read Psalm 109, you're going to say, oh, that's Judas Iscariot. But because, again, it, 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 uh, it, it gives Peter uh, the opportunity to say, you see, God did all this, and it's just like that. It's just like that. And, uh, and so he quotes these, uh, these psalms. One of the things it certainly tells us is, boy, uh, the Tanakh has a lot to say to us, doesn't it? Uh, the psalms, uh, here in particular, have a lot to say to us. Okay, so he says, It was therefore necessary that of the men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Yeshua went in and out among us, beginning with the immersion of John until the day that he was taken up from us, one of these should become a witness with us of his resurrection. Now, this is really interesting. What Peter is saying is, is that, you know, there's 11 of us, and there needs to be 12 of us. And before anything happens, while we're waiting and while we're praying, we need to make sure that we're acting in the right thing, that we're taking care of things, that we're doing what we need to do. And it was, uh, you know, obviously imperative to them that there be 12 apostles. Now, there were more than 12 followers of Yeshua. And later on, you know, in Acts chapter 12, one of the apostles, one of the James apostles, is killed. But they don't replace him. But here, they do. Okay? And, and so it's very interesting because in the minds of the apostles here, there needed to be 12. Perhaps Peter was being reminded of when Yeshua said, you know, you're going uh, to judge the 12 tribes uh, of, of Israel. But not only that, there was a sense that this was the beginning of the restoration of Israel. And that, and that, the, the that there's no coincidence between 12 tribes and 12 apostles. Even though the 12 apostles don't represent physically each tribe. That they do in their... Uh, in the sense of being 12. And you know what's interesting? In the Dead Sea community, they had, they did, they had the same thing. They did the same thing. 
There was 12 leaders because they saw themselves as like the restoration of Israel. And so kind of interesting that part of this, the restoration of Israel, that their understanding that is beginning is there needs to be 12 of us. And so just the fact that they want to raise up another apostle just reminds us again uh, that this is, this is about the restoration of Israel. Uh, which leads to the restoration of the nations. So they needed, uh, at this point, to be 12. Okay? All right. Uh, And uh, they couldn't just be anybody, right? They had to have been a witness from the beginning. It says here, beginning with the immersion of John until the day that he was taken up. Like, in other words, from the time that John was preaching to now. So that tells us that there were other people besides the ones with the 12 we read about who were with Yeshua from beginning to end, okay? There's so many sub-devotional lessons to learn from this. It's amazing. Like, for example, uh, you, you know, uh, we, never hear, we never heard of this guy, uh, uh, of, of these two people, you know, uh, Joseph called Barabbas and Matthias, uh, but they were there. So what it tells us is, is that everybody is significant, even if you're not uh, one of the people that's up in front of people, so to speak. You know, that there were people with Yeshua through thick and thin all the way. And even though they're unnamed, he knows who they are and how important it is for us to remember that indeed as well. So uh, they had to be uh, witnesses. Uh, of the whole thing, and especially, certainly, the resurrection, because he points that out, accentuating that, of the resurrection. These 12 had to be eyewitnesses from the beginning. Okay. So, by the way, here's another little tidbit. It doesn't mean that uh, later on, if you, you know, you know, we already know the whole story. Paul comes along uh, after this, right? So it's not like, uh, why couldn't they wait for Paul? Then they would have had 12, right? It wasn't a mistake that uh, Paul was not an eyewitness. Paul did not meet the, this, this standard, okay, uh, here at this moment. So uh, his apostleship is indeed a real apostleship, but uh, not one of the 12. That's all we'll say, you know, just not one of the 12. All right. So they prayed and said, Thou, Lord, who knows the hearts of all men, show which one of these two you have chosen to occupy this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they drew lots for them, and the lot fell to Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. And so uh, they prayed, and then they drew lots. They drew, they drew lots, right? And uh, they saw this as like a sign from God. They prayed, and they drew lots. Now, I will say that uh, we don't read about anybody drawing lots after this, which is really helpful, right? Uh, uh, That perhaps once the Ruach is poured out, they're not drawing lots. I don't know. But that's what they did. It's descriptive, right? It's a description of what happened. Okay. Now, Matthias might say, whatever happened to him? Well, you know what the tradition is on him is that he went to Ethiopia. The tradition about Matthias is he went to Ethiopia and and he died there as uh, an emissary of, of Yeshua. That's, so that's a, a, a kind of interesting. Okay, so there we have it. They're waiting. Uh, and while they're waiting, uh, they're praying. 
they're not only praying, but they're praying with one mind. They're praying with one mind. They, 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 are, they are one on this. And that is amazing considering the history of these apostles and all 120 people. You know, let's just say, boy, for 120 uh, of these people to come together and all be of the same mind, that has got to be of the Lord, right? Uh, but they're of the same mind. They're of the same mind. And we read that a few different times. They're of the same mind. So when we're waiting for something really uh, important to come, we're waiting, uh, whether it be the huge waiting like the return of the Lord, where we're all waiting for the same, or waiting in our own lives for, for what God is doing. We need to be praying. We need to be praying. Praying more than pacing, okay? Praying. Praying more than wringing our hands, right? We need to be praying, uh, uh, and we need uh, also uh, to be uh, at work, okay? Uh, we need to be doing what we're supposed to be doing. And so here, they're waiting, and they raise up another apostle. There needed to be 12. And so this is what they're doing. They're doing what they're supposed to be doing uh, while they're waiting. And so God calls us to that uh, as, as, as well, okay? Uh, praying with one mind and doing what they're supposed to do. Uh, uh, and, and so, you know, we read a lot about waiting in the Bible uh, and, and, and how important it is uh, for us to do so in the right way. Now, what does this have to do with our Torah portion? Oh, I'm so glad that someone brought that up. Okay, so in the ninth chapter of Deuteronomy, the children of Israel are on the plains of Moab and they're waiting. They're also waiting, right? Waiting to enter the promised land, okay? Waiting to fulfill what God had called them to do. So in uh, uh, chapters really 1 to 11 in Deuteronomy, uh, Moses is... Uh, exhorting the people while they're waiting about uh, reminding them about the sovereignty of the kingship of God and the protection of God. Uh, and then he, he wants them to remember. He says, I want you to remember. Remember the events of Sinai, the big wow, the, you know, the thunder, the smoke, uh, and, and how God gave Moses uh, the, uh, the, the, the Torah. You know, uh, it, was, it was a major event how, I, event, how I revealed myself to you there. Uh, and remember, this is the second generation, so most of these people were not there, but he's reminding them of it. And then he reminds them of the content of the Ten Commandments in, in chapter 5. And then he's, he reminds them and says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It's like a loyalty oath. Love the Lord your God with every ounce of your being. Every bit of you love God completely, not compartmentalized, but just love him completely, right? Okay, when you're at home, when you're out, uh, uh, wherever you may be, uh, with your parents, your children, the people you work with, that love God uh, uh, completely. Now, uh, in, in chapters uh, 7, 8, and 9, what he's really doing here is, He's reminding them now, if you walk in my ways, uh, you know, God will, will 
fulfill his calling in your life, bring you into the land successfully. If you don't, there's surus. If you don't, he'll do it, but it's going to be really, really painful and difficult, right? So now in chapter 9 in particular, this is what he says. He starts with Shema Yisrael. You ever see in the Bible, Shema Yisrael, you know, oh, something big's coming, okay? Hear, O Israel, you are crossing over the Jordan today to go into dispossessed nations greater and mightier than you, great cities fortified uh, uh, to heaven. Uh, like, why are you reminding us of this? Uh, people great and tall, the sons of the Anakim, whom you know and of whom you have heard, it said, who can stand before the sons of Anak? Okay, so isn't it interesting? This is what Moses says. He's reminding them of what happened when uh, your moms and dads uh, refused to go into the land. Don't let it happen again. So one thing that Moses does here, and this is a great leadership uh, principle, he, uh, it's f- like full disclosure. He doesn't like not tell them like they're big and they're strong because maybe they won't remember, you know, and th- then they won't be afraid. But he tells them, no, re- this is what they're like. Uh, but he says, I don't want you to be afraid, right? I don't want you to be afraid. So they're waiting. They're on the plains of Moab, waiting to cross the river and enter the land. Uh, and, uh, and here they've been in the wilderness for 40 years. While they're waiting, Moses says, don't be afraid. Okay. Uh, he says, know therefore today that it is the Lord your God who is crossing over before you as a consuming fire. He will destroy them and he will subdue them before you, so that you may drive them out and destroy them quickly, just as the Lord has spoken uh, uh, to you. So in verse 3, he's saying, I, now God is going ahead of you, okay? God is going ahead of you. God is going to, uh, you know, get you through this, right? Don't fear. Keep moving forward, Right? Uh, and so while the, think of the apostles there in the upper room, waiting, you know, they've been with, with Yeshua, they, they know something's going to happen here, and basically they're waiting for the Lord to part the heavenlies, right? Uh, and this pouring out of the Spirit uh, is basically God leading them, in, so to speak, into the land. God is going to empower them so that they can do seemingly the impossible, Right? Turn the world upside down with the, with the good news of Yeshua. Here, the, these people are on the plains of Moab waiting for God to do the impossible, bring them into the land. Right? And doesn't it remind you of the children of Israel in Exodus chapter 14 when they're, uh, they leave Egypt and they're at the uh, Red Sea and they see the, uh, the Egyptians coming on one end, and they see the water on the other, and they think, ugh, oh, the joke's on us, right? You brought us out here to kill us. But Moses said to the people, do not fear, stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you, are, whom you have seen today, will ne- you will never see them again forever. The Lord will fight for you while you Keep silent. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the sons of Israel to go forward. Okay? So he says, Don't fear. God will fight this battle for you, but you need to take some initiative 
and do the right thing. Be occupied while you're waiting. Okay? All right. Very good. But then it's interesting if you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 9, now he says something else. You, you would think that he's sort of like repeating himself. He would repeat himself like, like a lot of the, like Moses does, Paul does, like make the point four times. Have I ever done anything? I don't know. Okay. Uh, then in verse 4, he says something else, though. Do not say in your heart when the Lord your God has driven them out before you, because of my righteousness, the Lord has brought me in to possess this land. But it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is dispossessing them before you. It is not for your righteousness or for the uprightness of your heart that you are going to possess the land, but it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord your God is driving them out before you in order to confirm the oath which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now he repeats, Know then, it is not because of your righteousness that the Lord your God is giving you this good land to possess, for you are a stubborn people. Okay? So what he's telling them is, first, don't fear. God will bring you in the land. But then he says, and don't get the idea that when this happens, it's because it's like a pat on the back to you. Don't get the idea that this is happening because, see, I was righteous and so God brought us, uh, brought us into the land. Uh, because uh, we're up, an upright people, God brought us into the land. He says, no, the reason that you're going to be successful is because you are part of what I'm doing in this world. And I have called you to be part, to be, to be my uh, emissaries. I have called you to fulfill my calling. So the uprightness allows you to be able to participate in what I'm doing, but it's happening because of their wickedness. It's happening because I'm using you to judge them, okay? So if this is not, it's all about me. It's all about God. And Israel gets to be a part of it. See, that's what he's telling them uh, 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 here. So don't, work, don't fear, you'll be able to do it. And by the way, remember, I'm the one doing it. Not you, okay? Because we all have that tendency to, to say, oh, what, look what the Lord did uh, through me, you know? It's a great thing that God did, but I'm the one who uh, did this, that, and the other thing. But isn't it a great thing what God did through me, right? He's saying that's not, it's not about you, all right? Okay, so then he spends the rest of the chapter reminding them of the golden calf, all right, this is the rest of the chapter. It's about the golden calf uh, and Moses' intercession for them because he wants them to understand that, you know, uh, you deserved death. God gave you life, okay? And so never take it for granted and never get the idea that because of who you are or how smart you are or how much you have, or what a creativity you have, you're bringing this to pass. When we have that, at, when we say, God did it, but I'm the one who did this, and I'm the one who did this, and I'm the one who did this, I'm the one who did this, then in a way we're building more calves, more golden calves than we could ever care uh, uh, to imagine or uh, uh, see, right? We're replacing God with golden calves, right? Now God does use our ingenuity and our time and our abilities and our, 
our power that we, you know, our position that we might have or, or our resources. He uses, and we need to use those resources. And, and we need, we don't put our head in the sand and just say, God, do it. No, we go into, but our attitude cannot be that I am indispensable and that it's all about me. It's, no, it's all about our attitude. It's, it, you know, we need to use our resources and our education and our intellect and, and, uh, and our devotion and, and all of our goods and resources. We do need, but our attitude needs to be, God, God is the one doing it. Yes, indeed. God is the one who is, is causing it to take place. Now, how does this relate to uh, the upper room? Is that they're all waiting. All of, the, all of this is about waiting. And so when we're uh, uh, waiting, may we be people of, may we be people of uh, uh, a prayer. May we be people who are unified in prayer, of one mind in prayer. Uh, may we uh, also be occupied using all of our resources and whatever we have communally or individually, whatever uh, context we want to talk about, uh, to further uh, the cause of Messiah Yeshua. But may we always remember that just like in the upper room and just like here, they're waiting for God to act. It's not about me. It's not about, you know, if I'm one of those apostles, I might be thinking, okay, now how are we going to, we need to strategize to figure this out about how we're going to get this message out in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. But here, the first thing they had to do was wait. Yeah, they did have to strategize. They actually did. The book of Acts is all about strategy and, you know, and figuring out how to do things in a good way and right way. But they had to wait. They had to wait for God to act. Here on the plains of Moab, they had to wait for God to act. And in that waiting, they had to be reminded that it's not about them, it's about God, that he was going to do it. So they had to wait with expectation, they had to wait with occupation, and they had to wait with association, okay? Expecting God to act, being occupied while they're waiting, and associating well with others. Let me just read a couple of... Uh, 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 no, I won't even read it. I'll just tell you. Okay? So what I'm going to suggest is uh, when you go home today, here's a little thing to do. Look up all the places where it talks about waiting in the Bible. Okay? Waiting on the Lord. You have lots of verses that say, don't fear, but wait. Wait expectantly. Those who wait for the Lord will not be ashamed. Those who wait for the Lord, the Lord will renew them and invigorate them. Wait let us wait expectantly. And, of course, my ultra-favorite verse from the Tanakh uh, about waiting is in, of course, the little prophet, and you know who he is, Habakkuk, right? When Habakkuk is waiting, he is waiting for what God said to take place. He's waiting, and God tells him, the vision is yet for the appointed time. It hasn't happened yet. It's coming. It's like the train is coming down the tracks, right? It hastens toward the goal. It will not fail. But though it seems to be taking a long time, though it tarries, though it seems to be taking a long time, wait for it, for it certainly will come it will not delay. It doesn't say it will not, like, um, not materialize. It says it will not delay. That means it will be on time, okay? 
And so waiting is such a big part of what we do. And you know, certainly uh, in the Brit Hadashah, there's another ultra-favorite passage about waiting, and that is in Romans chapter 8, in verse uh, uh, 25. But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. And then quite, quite interestingly, with the next verse, we always read this verse without the previous one. And in the same way, the Ruach helps our weakness. For we, didn't, we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes with us with groanings too deep for words. He's, he, and he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The point there is, is that when we're hoping and when we're waiting and when we're pleading and when we're praying and we don't know anymore what to pray, the Ruach knows. The Spirit of God knows the inner recesses of our heart and it gets communicated and he gives us comfort and he gives us the assurance that our prayer is, you know, is, uh, uh, is effective, right? Because he knows us better than we know ourselves. And therefore, God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. It's all part of the same passage. That hoping and waiting is trusting. That I know that even if I can't understand it, I'm going to wait expectantly. And I, I know that God will act. Uh, and I will move forward in what, I'm, in what I'm supposed to be doing while I'm waiting. And I'm going to be trusting God because I know that he's the only way that it's going to happen. Finally, as Yeshua said, right? You abide in me and I in you. For apart from me, you can. Let's pray. Lord, I pray, God, many of us are waiting, waiting, waiting. We're all waiting. We're all waiting for the appearance of Yeshua. Again, on that Mount of Olives, kind of like the apostles. Thank you that you have poured out the Ruach Thank you that we have your presence via the Ruach HaKodesh in us. But yet we wait. Don't we say, come Lord Yeshua, end all this agony. But may we be occupied until he comes. May we be people of prayer. May we be people who pray of one accord. May we be people in unity who pray and hope and are occupied and trust and use all of our resources but don't take the credit for it. May that be us. May we truly know that we are dependent on you, Lord. And may uh, we wait with confidence, Lord, always. And, therefore, and as Habakkuk, may we never give up. May we just never give up. Though it tarries, wait for it. It's surely going to happen and it will not delay. Lord, thank you for your mercy and your grace upon us. Such an undeserving people. But yet you continue to allow us to serve you. We thank you for that. May we walk in your ways. Lord, what do you ask of us? But to love you, to serve you, to walk in your ways. May we do so, Lord. We pray in Yeshua's name.